0: Calling all minute maniacs, second psychos, and epoch enthusiasts. It's that time of year again. Hey, remember how we were going to have a great time at TimeCon 2020? <sighs> well, as we all know, time didn't quite work out the way we expected. But let's look to the future, future. with TimeCon 2021's official product the everyday Q&A page-a-day calendar. Courtesy of our friends, Jonathan Oaks of Oaks Media Group and Trivial Warfare, and our good friend, Katie Sikelski of The Inkling, with questions submitted by you, the listener. Yes.
1: So get yourself to TriviaCalendar.net or you can go to the Oaks Media Group Page. That's oaksmediastore.com, and you can get the products there. Um, and right now, there's a, a 20% discount if you pre-order. Ooh. So to get 20% off each calendar order, you can just get in there and get your discount. Great for gifts for Christmas. Oh my gosh! Or Hanukkah, or just for fun. You just know? for fun, you should have one for your
0: office. Yep. And one for your home, yes. so that when you're working from either place. <laughs> you can access your calendar. Exactly, because unfortunately, we're still in 2020, but not for much longer.
1: Yeah, and you won't be in 2020 when you have the Everyday Q&A
0: 2021 Trivia Calendar. Pick up yours today. Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at PubQuiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lord. Well, you know what today is. I do know what today is, and...
1: Yeah. Everybody else knows what today is. Well,
0: yeah. And you know what? We should remind you if you're not in the States, but here in the States, today is election day. Election day. Yes. Which is a very important day. And if you are in the States, you should have voted or are planning on voting today. Please do that. Voting is extremely important. Obviously. Um, But today we are providing a service.
1: Yeah. We're just here just so you can veg out a little. Relax. Maybe... Don't watch the news for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, stay off of Twitter for at least an hour. It'll be there when you come back, you know? Exactly. So, we're here for you with really one of the most playful of topics that we've ever covered on the show. (laughs) That's very good.
0: Like you see what I did there. I did,
1: I you see it. what I did. There? I saw it and I heard uh, it. So I mean, this episode it kind of has been in the in the making for a while because, as longtime listeners of the pod know, <laughs> I work at the Strong National Museum of Play that's here in Rochester, New York, and one of our um, big you know exhibits that we have at the museum is the National Toy Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, and it's a really It's a really fun... Yes, it's super fun. It's a fun thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm doing today is we are talking all about the National Toy Hall of Fame.
0: Now, are they paying you for this? No, this is (laughs) hashtag not an ad. I mean, I guess it's it's not technically an ad if it's a non-profit, right? Right, yeah. There we go. That's... Fine, we're, doing an edu- we're providing an educational service. This is service. an educational service. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So for those of you
1: who haven't heard of the National Toy Hall of Fame, um, it was established in 1998 by A.C. Gilbert's Discovery Village, which is now called the Gilbert House Children's Museum in Salem, Oregon, um, to recognize toys that have achieved longevity and national significance in the world of play and imagination. But that Hall of Fame quickly outgrew its original home there mm-hmm. because it's kind of just like... A big Victorian house In Oregon So in 2002 The Strong National Museum Of Play Acquired and moved The hall to its Permanent home In Rochester So why is there Even a toy hall of fame You might ask Um, So toys are among The most important Human artifacts Um, They're learning tools They foster imagination Creativity And critical thinking Um, Toys socialize us And teach fairness They reveal What we believed And valued Encouraged and endorsed Dismissed and feared Mm. Uh, They remind us of who we were, who we are, who we hope to become, and they help us imagine what's next. I mean, they clearly also entertain us um, from childhood to adulthood, and most of all, they are fun. Inducted toys are selected on the basis of the following criteria. So first, icon status. So the toy is widely recognized, respected, and remembered. Uh, The second is longevity. So the toy is more than just a passing fad, and it's enjoyed popularity over multiple generations. So maybe the pet rock might not you know, yeah. show up in the National Toy Hall of Fame one day.
0: But you know. You um, never know. You never know. They might run out of toys. <laughs> That's a definite <laughs> possibility. There's a finite amount of toys in yeah, the world. Yeah, the
1: supply chain is exactly yeah. compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, the third is discovery. So the toy fosters learning, creativity, or discovery through play. And then finally, there's also innovation. So the toy profoundly changed play or toy design, and a toy might be inducted on the basis of this criteria without necessarily having met all of the first three. So if it, you know, has icon status and has been around for a while, and it also was yeah. a big innovation, it might get in um, to the National Toy Hall of Fame. Yes. Yeah. Great. So the public can nominate toys on site at the toy hall um, gallery or online. And each year, an internal museum advisory committee reviews the submitted nominations and determines which 12 toys best meet the criteria for selection. I am not on that committee, oh, I was everybody. going to ask you, So, <laughs> I, so ask. I cannot be swayed
0: okay. or persuaded bribed.
1: or bribed or mm. bought in any way. I'm not part of that committee. <laughs> <laughs> A national selection committee then reviews the a list of 12 mm. toys and each member votes for their top toy choices and after the votes are tallied the toys that receive the most votes make the cut for induction mm. so the first class of inductees was in the year 1998 and oh okay as you might have noticed throughout all sorts of halls of fame. The first class is usually the biggest. Like, oh, they're sure. They're not yeah. going to start a hall of fame with just two guys. No. You know, you're going to have your biggest class like right up front and then maybe the second year will be another big one, too. Yeah. And they they're usually things that are super obvious. Like, yeah. these are like you don't even have to defend any no. of your choices at that point. So what we're going to do today, I am going to go through chronologically The toys that have been inducted into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Okay. If they are like a product or, you know, have some interesting background info, I'm going to tell it to you. Okay. But if it's something like the kite, I'm just going to say the The kite kite. got in. I'm not going to give you background on stuff that is just a generic term or... Uh, maybe a household object Like stuff like that I'm not really gonna get into But the stuff that Is trivia worthy Or has an interesting backstory Or tidbits come up At trivia I will talk about Great I love it 1998 Okay What do you think's the first Like if In your mind Okay What's the f- first p- product You would put into a toy hall Probably thing? a ball Oh shit <laughs> That comes way later Oh does All it? Right. Oh sorry <laughs>
0: You should have coached me. I had a time. I know, I know, I know. Okay.
1: Uh, Some of you people out there, though, I bet you said Barbie. Oh, oh, whoops. (laughs) Oops. Sorry, I'm very bad so at this. So the first toy in was Barbie. Um, mm. and so the origins of America's favorite doll. Um, it was derived from a figurine that was sold to men in tobacco shops in post-World War II Germany. Get out. So while on vacation in Europe, um, Ruth Handler, who was one of the co-founders of Mattel Toy Company, noticed a doll for sale based on the main character of the Build Lily comic strip. Mm. Um, so this is kind of like, she's kind of a sexy doll, you know? Okay. She's, uh, you know, the comic strip girl. She's she's you know, big chest and a thin waist and long legs and her hair's in a ponytail and she's sure. very,
0: you know, gamin.
1: Um And so they, they're, these tobacco shops and like other novelty shops were selling dolls based on the comic strip character. Okay. Her name was Build Lily. So Han- Ruth Handler bought a lot of them and brought them back home to Mattel and um, she was guessing that little girls wanted to pretend to be bigger girls. So yeah. the first Barbie dolls really looked just like Build Lily. If you look at... um if you look at one of those, the Bill Billy dolls from the 50s, and then you look at the first Barbie,
0: you're like, yeah, yeah. they definitely
1: copied that. So the number one Barbie was released in 1959, retailed for $3. Um, in her first year, Mattel sold more than $350,000. So oh my God. right away, big hit right off yeah. the bat. Uh, by the end of the 20th century, a Barbie doll sold every 30 seconds. Wow, and other trivia facts that for some reason get asked a lot. Um, Ruth and Elliot Handler named Barbie for their daughter, mm-hmm. and they also named Ken for their son, um, and the Barbie doll's real name is Barbara Millicent Roberts. Okay, yeah, I think I've heard that. Yeah, sure. It comes. I they it ask comes up all, all the time. time. They're like, "Who's Barbara Millicent Roberts?" The answer is is Barbie. Barbie. Barbie's real name. All right. Second in 1998, you get Crayola crayons. Sure. Icon you know Iconic right? So after several Decades producing Commercial pigments Edwin Binney And C. Harold Smith Produced a black Marking crayon In 1902 And the following year The company decided To enter the consumer Market with its first Drawing crayons So the name Crayola was suggested By Alice Binney The wife of one Of the founders um, She combined Cray Which was the French word for chalk um, As a reference To the pastels That preceded, And lent their name To the first Drawing crayons With the suffix Ola meaning Oleaginous Or a reference To the wax from which the crayons were made so the first boxes of crayons likely had eight colors and they were five cents a piece um early Crayola advertising mentions 30 different colors so there is no official list of what existed then Uh and you know we didn't have the color color photography to confirm yeah that's Um, true um but over the years, obviously, appealing new colors tracked fashion trends and cultural change. Mm-hmm. And introduced in 1958, the Crayola number 64 was Binnie and Smith's largest regular assortment for more than 30 years and featured the last major changes to the Crayola colors before 1990. Wow. So it's funny. So if you were at like a relative's house, like, you know, drawing with a bunch of crayons that were in one of those, Dansk cookie tins yep. mm-hmm. that have just been making their way there for for decades um, you can tell kind of how old some of these crayons are based on their names mm-hmm. based on if these names have have phased in or out over the years oh, sure yeah. new colors were introduced in 1990 that's when you get like vivid tangerine mm-hmm. and robin's egg blue and all those you know great colors of the 90s but then there's colors like blue violet and orange red and stuff like that yeah that they kind are classic. at that point so it's I mean, it's pretty interesting to go down the rabbit hole about Crayola crayons. Wow. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's a very, uh, like, you can smell them right now. Can't oh, yeah, you? absolutely. Like, if you imagine it. Yeah, so, paper and wax. Yes. Yeah. So Crayola crayons. Made it in. Next is the erector set. So that was Hmm. originally patented by Alfred Carlton Gilbert, also known as AC Gilbert. And it was first sold by his company, the Misto Manufacturing Company of New Haven, Connecticut in 1913. Um, So basic erector set parts included various metal beams with regularly spaced holes for assembly using nuts and bolts and flat or curved pieces of sheet metal in various shapes and colors could be added to the structural skeleton. Hardened steel rods and screw clamps allowed for the construction of hinges and the transmission of mechanical power via rotating parts like pulleys, gears, wheels, and levers." Some fun facts. Oh, boy. In 1949, an erector set was used to build the precursor to the modern artificial heart. What? By William Sewell and Dr. William Glenn of the Yale School of Medicine. Um, their external pump successfully bypassed the heart of a dog for more than an hour. What the what?
0: When you were like, you know, an early version of I, I swore you were going to be like, um, you know, like a, some sort of famous building, the Chrysler Building, or like, yeah. not an artificial heart. Yeah. That's incredible. hmm Um, also, this is, uh, I mean, maybe this
1: part isn't as fun, but in the late 1980s with an erector set included and also various old toys and bits of jewelry. Jack Kevorkian pieced together a machine called the Thanatron, which he later renamed to the Mercitron. Uh, so three bottles were suspended from a beam. One was no. filled with a saline solution to open a patient's veins, oh, no. another with barbiturates for sedation, and a third with potassium chloride to stop the heart. And after Dr. Kevorkian connected the patient to an IV, um, they would pull a chain on the device to start the lethal medications flowing. And he called it his Rube Goldberg suicide device. Oh,
0: my God. He was... Now, here's the thing we're not gonna get into like right to die stuff or whatever I no this is a very light this is a very lighthearted a very light, like we said before this is a very lighthearted podcast <laughs> but kevorkian regardless of all of the good or bad he has done he was total creep <laughs> he was a creep show creepy creep man who also like collected very dark art as well so mm-hmm. he really spent a lot of time thinking about death in not like a clinical way like in a disturbed way okay like in a messed up way like Just- he looked at he looked at some kids erector set and was like you know what Ooh, i can do with that i could kill somebody with that <laughs> legally <laughs>
1: <laughs> but on a lighter note yeah in the 1990s engineer mark sumner used the erector set to create a working model for soarin which is an attraction at disney's california adventure in anaheim california so that's oh, okay. also kind that's of nice. fun too yeah. <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: okay um also in 1998 we have the etch-a-sketch
0: Oh yeah, okay
1: So the Etch-a-Sketch toy Was invented in the late 1950s By André Castanier Who was a French electrician Um, He named the toy L'écran magique Or the magic screen Um, So it looks kind of like A small television screen With little knobs at the bottom There's a static charge inside That holds a mixture Of aluminum powder And tiny plastic beads To the inside of a clear screen Uh, Knobs are attached to the pulleys They control movements Of horizontal and vertical rods And a stylus is attached to where the rods meet inside the screen. Um, As the point moves around across the inside of the screen, it scores a dark, sharp line by wiping the surface free of the aluminum dust. Okay. So that's how it works. Um, So if you made a gorgeous drawing and you wanted to save that, you could. Um, if you drilled a small hole in the back and drained out the aluminum dust, then okay. the screen, then the image on your screen would be preserved that way. I say, I say. So the Etra Sketch was manufactured for decades by the Ohio Art Company and is now owned by Spin Master of Toronto, Canada. Mm. Also in 1998, you get the Frisbee. The Frisbee. So, people had been throwing around pie tins or large can lids for years, but in 1948, two Air Force veterans came up with a plastic disc that they first called the Flying Saucer and then renamed the Pluto Platter. Oh, so, boy. the rights to this were sold to wham in 1955, um, and they renamed the product to Frisbee in 1958. So, the term Frisbee is often used generically to describe all flying discs, but Frisbee, F-R-I-S-B-E-E, is a registered trademark of the wham Toy Company. Um, Ed Hedrick um, Hired in 1964 as Waymo's general manager and vice president of marketing Changed Waymo's marketing strategy To promote frisbee use as a new sport Hedrick became known as the father Of frisbee sports like ultimate or disc golf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why am I mentioning this Well when Because Ed- we
0: all dated a guy who did ultimate frisbee I mean let's be honest right We all dated that guy who was into ultimate <laughs> Is that but what you are about to say But they could do such sweet jumps <laughs>
1: No, why am I mentioning Ed Hedrick to you? Mm. Well, when Hedrick died, he was cremated. Oh no. And his ashes were molded into memorial discs that were then given to family and close friends. Oh, come on, Ed. So you know how people love stories that's like the creator of Pringles was buried in a Pringles can. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the father of Frisbee Sports was cremated and turned into a bunch of frisbees. Ugh.
0: Well, I mean, live your passion and die your passion apparently. And also like what do you do what do you do with that then? What are you going to do? Go out back and play some Hang it on your mantle. Like, what if the dog gets a hold (laughs) of it? You know? Oh, man. There's just mistakes everywhere. I can just imagine.
1: Anyway, 1998, you get Lego. Oh, and you know what? We did a whole episode on Lego. Sure did. Episode 64, Lego My Lego. Go check that out. It's very good. Uh, Next, you have Monopoly. You know what? We've also done a whole episode of Monopoly. Sure did. Go check out episode 143, Playing with Monopoly Money. It's very good. (laughs) You know what? You're going to say that several more times on this podcast because oh, it turns out we have talked about toys a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. All right. 1998. You also have Play-Doh. Oh, so sure. it was first manufactured by a soap company called Kutol Products in Cincinnati, Ohio as a wallpaper cleaner in the 1930s. Get out. Um, and then in the 1950s, the product was reworked to be used in schools as an art supply and renamed to Play-Doh. And mm. it originally just came in off-white. Ooh. It didn't it didn't come in colors until, you know, maybe the next decade.
0: But then it was primary colors and then the only thing I can think of, and this is how I know that I'm in my thirties, I was like, that must have gotten so dirty. (laughs) You know. Your off white (laughs) play-doh. Gross. All right. Tinker toy. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's a toy construction set invented in the early 1910s by stonemason Charles Peugeot. He observed children poking sticks or pencils into wooden spools from thread and was inspired to create the first Tinker Toy construction set in 1914. So the cornerstone of the set is a wooden spool that's roughly two inches in diameter and has holes drilled every 45 degrees around the perimeter and one through the center. Uh, one of Tinker Toy's distinctive features is the toy's packaging. Um, it's a cylindrical tube. And initially, that design was chosen to reduce reduce. reduce shipping costs. Like they would just be able to if you ordered a tanker toy set, you could they could just slap a mailing tube and just Stick that right in the mail. Didn't have to worry about anything. Okay. There was a colorful how-to instruction guide that accompanied each set. And in the 1950s, color was added and the wooden sticks appeared in red, green, blue, and yellow. Um, Nowadays, pieces have plastic parts. They're Mm -hmm. sold in sets designed to create particular objects. So it kind of feels like it lost a little bit of that freeform kind of play that you originally had. But um, there were so many more Tinker Toy sets than just what you can imagine with like the spools and the sticks. There were... Oh, my gosh. There were Tinker Toy people. There were Tinker yeah. Toy dogs. There were Tinker Toy houses. It was, it was <sighs> wild. It was really wild. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But also in 1998, um, other two toys that I'm not going to talk about really that got in are the Teddy Bear. Oh, sure. And Marbles.
0: Oh, yeah. See, I said ball, so I was not that far off. Marbles are just off. small glass balls.
1: Marbles are just tiny balls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Hmm. In 1999, you get the Duncan Yo Yo. So, wait,
0: what's the face for? I, did you say the Duncan Yo Yo? The yo-yo? Duncan Yo Yo. I mean, I know what a Yo Yo is. The Duncan brand Yo Yo. Oh, I didn't know that it had a, a specific brand. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm gonna let me something. tell you.
1: Yo-yos are depicted on early Greek pottery from around 500 BCE and were widespread across Europe and Asia for centuries. The yo-yo, as we know it, came to America in the 20th century when Pedro Flores, a California hotel worker, brought the toy from the Philippines and trademarked the name yo-yo, which means come-come in Tagalog. His technological contribution consisted in how the string was attached so that the yo-yo, um, goes down and it transfers energy to the spin which allows it to sleep or do tricks. Oh, okay. Donald F. Duncan who was also the founder of the Good Humor Ice Cream Company fa- bought the idea from Flores in 1929 and the rest is history. So Duncan's company generated millions of customers by staging contests where yo-yo champions could make the toy do tricks like walk the dog, shoot the moon, rock the cradle and go around the world. And the name yo-yo was actually trademarked by Duncan until 1965. Oh wow. Okay. So the Duncan Imperial Yo-Yo. I see. okay got it. Now I got Specifically. it. Specifically. The hula hoop. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's also been around since about 500 BCE um, as toy hoops. So either, you you know, mm-hmm. put it on your body or you ran around with it or hit it with a stick like they did in the colonial times, you know?
0: Yeah. I always see that at like uh, <laughs> Colonial Williamsburg fun? or something. It's so fun. Just hit this hoop with the <laughs> hit stick. Hit this hoop and run um, around. <laughs>
1: So the modern hula hoop was inspired by Australian bamboo hoops, which were made of plastic and popularized in 1958 by Arthur K. Spud, (laughs) Melon and Richard Neur of Whammo, the same company that did the Frisbee. So before it was known and recognized as the common colorful plastic toy, uh, which is sometimes filled with water or sand to kind of have a weight in there. Mm -hmm. uh, The traditional hula hoop was made of dried willow, rattan, grapevines, or stiff grasses. Um, At some point in the 1950s, both the USSR and Japan banned this toy because it was too, you know, provocative and American for their cultures. Um, And I just wanted to point out that the longest verified record for continuous hula hoop spinning is held by Aaron Hibbs of Columbus, Ohio, who kept a hoop spinning for 74 hours and 54
0: minutes. In October 2009. Oh, my God. This man's this poor man's obliques. Can you, could you imagine? How long can you hula hoop for? A, probably five and a half seconds. At That's more best, than me, I think. At best. I mean, I haven't tried in a I'm good very at the, long I'm time. I'm good at the put it on your arm. Oh, the arm. Electri- went, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I could do this. <laughs> or like some people do it around their necks. No. It's madness. It's I'm,
1: I'm not good at it. But it was it was a big fad in the 50s, but it definitely has endured to this day. And you can go buy one at the dollar store right now. Easily. Yeah. Also, 1999. 1999. <laughs> it's 1999
0: here at the National <laughs> Toy Hall of Fame. Woo. Grip it and rip it, baby. Brought to you by PBR Hard Coffee. <laughs> How many more do you have in your fridge of those? This is a new batch. Oh, it's a new batch. Okay, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> you only get four in one pack.
0: <laughs> I still have one in my fridge that I, you know what? Now that I see that, I got to drink it. Yeah.
1: 1999. <laughs> the Lincoln Logs. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they were invented around 1916 by John Lloyd Wright, who was the second son of well-known architect Frank Lloyd Wright, oh. who Lauren covered in episode 55, Brick House. It's very good. I think so. Oh, you know what? I didn't tell people to go listen to it. So <laughs>
0: They can find it. They'll find it. It's there. (laughs) Sorry. You'll find it.
1: So Lincoln Logs. Um, The building toy consists of square-notched miniature logs used to build small forts and buildings, and the mold for the toy was actually based on the architecture of the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo that was designed by Frank. Um, The foundation of the hotel was designed with interlocking log beams, which made the structure earthquake-proof and was one of the few buildings to remain standing after the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake that crumbled Tokyo. Lincoln Logs are believed to be the first toy to be marketed to both boys and girls and appeal to a simple type of creativity. Uh, Connects, the toy's current distributor, states that the product was named after Abraham Lincoln, famously born in a log cabin sure. um, due to patriotism during World War I. But others attribute the name to Frank Lloyd Wright's original name, which was Frank Lincoln Wright. I did not know this. He was born Frank Lincoln Wright and later changed his name to honor his mother's family, the Lloyd-Joneses from Wales. Um, So some people think that that's where Lincoln Logs came from. Or also there is the possibility of the alliteration of the name Lincoln Logs, like L-I-N-K-I-N. These logs, they're
0: Lincoln. Actually, that's... Lincoln Logs. I never thought about that, but you're blowing my mind. Uh, That's what I'm here for. You know? (laughs) Okay, all right. All right. Another one that
1: is pretty fun. But Radio Flyer Wagon. Oh yeah. Okay. It's iconic. It's the iconic. The shape is is like trademarked, okay? So Italian immigrant Antonio Passen. P A S I N.
0: P-A-S-I-N.
1: Pausine? Pausine. Pausine? Pausine. Antonio Pazzi. Sorry, I had to do little fingers. Um, <laughs> he started building wooden toy wagons in Chicago in 1917 and was sold in them to area shops. Um, his business grew until he formed the Liberty Coaster Company in 1923, which he named in honor of the Statue of Liberty. So this boy loved America <laughs> so much. Um, and the demands for these original wooden wagons, which he dubbed the Liberty Coaster, quickly outpaced production. In 1930, he began mass producing the toys out of stamped metal, incorporating the mass manufacturing techniques of the auto industry. And he called his new wagon the Radio Flyer, named Mm. as a tribute to two famous men of the day, Marconi and Lindbergh. So Italian inventor and engineer Guglielmo Marconi developed, demonstrated, and marketed the first successful long-distance wireless telegraph, and in 1901 broadcast the first transatlantic radio signal. And then you had Charles Lindbergh, who completed his first solo nonstop flight across the Atlantic in 1927. And that's where the name, that's where the name of the the wagon comes from, Lauren. I had no idea. I
0: always, like, radio flyer, like, we all hear it, but I guess I never really thought about like why it's called radio flyer because it's not a phrase that makes any sense. But Mm -hmm. that's amazing. I had no idea. It's a name for (laughs) It's a name for you're getting it. It's very good.
1: Also in 1999, you have the Viewmaster. Oh, yeah. So it's an update to the stereoscopes from the turn of the century. Um, Harold Graves and William Gruber introduced their creation at the 1939 New York World's Fair and began selling it through specialty photography stores. Following the lead of its predecessor, the stereoscope, the first reels presented views of scenic attractions around the country. During World War II, the U.S. military ordered 100,000 of these to keep G.I.s entertained. Wow. In 1951, Viewmaster acquired its main competitor, which was a film strip production company called TrueView. And with it, they got the stereo licensing rights to all Disney characters. Oh, that's big. So basically, that was like, Uh, cha-ching. Viewmaster began offering 3D images of brand new Disneyland amusement park, stills from Disney movies and television programs. Oh, damn. And their sales exploded. So Viewmaster offered slide reels of virtually every major kids show and motion picture after that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's huge. I mean, when you were little. It yeah, is? it was. It's still like a cool thing. It's like oh, 3D yeah. with the two images and like that you get like a depth of field. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, very cool. And I, you can I can feel what it feels like to click yeah, the to button click and that mm-hmm. little sound that you get when it advances.
0: Yeah, the Viewmaster,
1: ladies amazing. and gentlemen. Also, 1999, you get the roller skates. Oh sure. Ooh, great. Sweet. Roll around <laughs> on. With wheels on your feet. That was probably the first tagline for roller yeah. skates, I think.
0: You're probably right. Probably. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In the year two thousand, we get Mr. Potato Head. Oh so, the toy was invented and developed by George Lerner in 1949 and first manufactured and distributed by Hasbro in 1952. Mr. Potato Head was the first toy advertised on television. Oh. And has remained in production since its debut. Damn. The toy was originally produced as separate plastic parts with push pins that could be stuck into a
0: real potato. Yes, I have heard this.
1: Due to complaints regarding rotting vegetables <laughs> and new government safety regulations, Hasbro began including a plastic potato body with the toy set in 1964, and replaced the metal pieces with plastic ones. Smart. Yeah. Um, Around this time, Hasbro also introduced Oscar the Orange and (gasps) Pete the Pepper. What? Uh, They were a (laughs) plastic, you know, they were a plastic orange and a plastic green pepper (laughs) with attachable face parts, similar to Mr. Potato Head. And also you got female characters Katie the Carrot
0: and Cookie the Cucumber. Cookie the Cucumber? Yeah. Now that is just misleading. (laughs) (laughs) You would think. And then you could make a giant cookie, right? Yeah. Like, why not just cookie the cookie? I don't know. You well, potato chips, travel can back can in time.
1: <laughs> first thing Lauren's going to do
0: is stop at the Hasbro studios. Yeah.
1: 1964. I'm sorry. Get this cucumber out of here.
0: <laughs> this is ridiculous. Who names a cucumber cookie? That's my question. Question number one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was funny. I first heard of Katie the carrot, maybe like a couple of years ago, we had a researcher from England uh-huh. came to the museum he runs the Carrot Museum, no. in the middle of nowhere in England. What? And he was doing research on Katie the Carrot, and we don't have one in our collection, but we do have like trade catalogs or yeah, sure. document like that she existed. She, Katie the Carrot, <laughs> existed, course, yeah. and it was it was a lot of fun. It was there's so charming. Carrot
0: Museum, girl. There's a museum for everything, you know that. All right, for this episode, we're gonna link the Carrot Museum. We're gonna get we're gonna give this guy a little little bump. We're gonna give that, that sweet that sweet, sweet misinformation bump that everyone craves. <laughs> and we're gonna Get link you to the character. Tens Museum. of
1: clicks. <laughs> uh. So another iconic toy (laughs) was signed in 2000 besides Mr. Potato Head was the Slinky. It was invented and developed by American naval engineer Richard T. James in 1943, demonstrated at Gimbel's department store in Philadelphia in November 1945. The toy was a hit uh, selling its entire inventory of 400 units in 90 minutes. So Richard James and his wife, Betty formed James Industries in Pennsylvania to manufacture Slinky and several related toys. In its first two years, they sold 100 million slinky. What? In 1960, though, Richard James left the company after his wife filed for divorce, and he became an evangelical missionary in Bolivia. Oh, so, wow. So they sold 100 million slinkies, and then Richard James was like, goodbye. I'm out. So Betty, she's there. She's like, well, I... I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So Betty like took charge of this company and she just crushed it. Good. For so her. she insisted on keeping the original Slinky affordable. Um, in Ooh, 1996, okay. the price of a Slinky changed from $1.89 to $2.69. And she was like kind of upset about it. Um, she told the New York Times, so many children can't have expensive toys and I feel a real obligation to them.
0: Oh, that's
1: lovely. So yeah. Betty, James, Betty? Oh my gosh. She was a rock star. Um, So a science fact for you Sure Um, The rules that govern the mechanics of a slinky Are Hooke's law and the effects of gravitation And when set in motion on on a stepped platform Such as a stairway The slinky transfers energy along its length In a longitudinal wave The whole spring descends end over end In a periodical motion as if it were walking down One step at a time um, the jingle for the Slinky television commercial was created in 1962. I'm sure you can mm-hmm. sing it mm-hmm. right now. What walks downstairs alone or in pairs and makes a slinky sound? A spring, a spring, a marvelous thing. Everyone knows it's Slinky. Um, that became the longest running jingle in advertising history. Wow.
0: I mean, you, when you when you hit gold right out of the gate, you're not going to change with it. it.
1: Um, also, it takes 80 feet of wire to make one standard size Slinky.
0: And, and if I would- you have
1: ever tangled a whole oh. one up you realize that
0: it's 80 feet of wire i have <laughs> tangled numerous slinkies and have never been able to untangle them we just throw them away but
1: this is i mean i'm just i'm just getting like so many like sensory memories oh, as yeah, we're absolutely. as we're doing this episode like i can i can hear the yep. sound of it i can feel the weight like absolutely as it transfers between your hand when you're yeah this slink, is slink, deep slink. in the cerebellum here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um also in 2000 you get the bicycle oh sure uh the jump rope. Oh yeah, and jacks, which I've nobody ne- knows how to. Play.
0: I've never played it. Nobody I don't. Nobody know. knows how, how to play jacks. It? No one. Nobody knows. You drop a ball. You pick some jacks up. Who knows? Uh, Are there rules? Ooh, probably, Fun. Probably no. not. I never.
1: No. I never learned how to play jacks. And no I'm sure I'm sure we have a listener out there who is like
0: the jacks champion of Wyoming <laughs> or something. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, I, I'm still doubtful that it's even a real thing. That it's not just been like a long-standing prank.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like the aliens will come and they'll be like, like, what is is this? All right. So those were the first three classes of the Toy Hall of Fame. And that's, again, like I said, you're getting like really front-loaded at the start. So from this point on, you're either getting two or maybe three things in each year. So in 2001, Silly Putty. Oh, yeah. All right. So during World War II, the War Production Board encouraged chemists to look for cheaper alternatives to rubber. In 1943, a GE scientist named James Wright mixed together boric acid and silicone oil, making a non-toxic putty that would bounce when dropped, could stretch farther than regular rubber, would not go moldy, and had a very high melting temperature. However, it did not have the properties needed to replace rubber. So it was just kind of a useless thing that maybe scientists would... You know, play around in their lab. Mm -hmm. In 1949, Toy Story owner Ruth Fallgatter came across this putty and she she contacted marketing consultant Peter Hodgson. And in 1950, Hodgson hired Yale students to fill colorful plastic eggs with one ounce blobs of the putty. Um, Initially, sales were poor, but after a New Yorker article mentioned this product, Hodgson Mm -hmm. sold over 250,000 units in three days. Uh, By 1955, the majority of its customers were aged six to twelve. So it became a thing for toys. It was advertised on like Captain Kangaroo and like other early kids shows. Um, In 1968, Silly Putty was taken into lunar orbit by the (gasps) Apollo 8 astronauts, because of its adhesive characteristics, it was used by astronauts to secure their tools in
0: zero gravity. Oh, that's very clever. Finally, a use for it, other than just being a toy. Yeah. Not that that's not useful, but I still. mean, I only
1: ever knew of Silly Buddy as like, you would press it onto the comics page. Yep. And
0: it would transfer. Yeah. And, yeah. And then
1: mm-hmm. you'd stretch it, and then it would eventually, you'd do that enough, and then it would, it would turn get colors, and yeah. then it would get gross, and you'd lose it at mm-hmm. the bottom yeah, and of your toy box. Covered in but, dust. But hey, it was it was really hot in the 50s. Oh, yeah. I bet it was. It was interesting. In 2001, you also get Tonka trucks. Oh yeah All right So just after World War II Three guys from Mound, Minnesota Decided to manufacture garden tools And they founded a company called Mound Metalcraft. They acquired a tooling company From a nearby town And one of its products Was a toy steam shovel So the Mound Metalcraft guys Added some other pressed steel tools To their inventory And after selling more than 37,000 units in their first year ah, They stopped making gardening tools And decided to just focus on toys hmm. um, So they changed their company's name To Tonka After nearby Lake Mini Tonka
0: Oh okay And
1: and if you have ever played outside with a Tonka truck
0: in the rain or the mud or the dirt or the... Oh, you didn't have no. good boys in your house. No, I didn't have any boys in my house and I was an indoor kid. So <laughs> so, so, that's two strikes truck, against me. They're very heavy. They're very durable. They... Um, they uh, I mean, they're
1: they're real, you know realistic models of these sure. larger things. So yeah. any kids that are into, like, construction toys or, like, mm-hmm. the dump truck, that I think that's oh, the yeah. most iconic kids one of all. Kids love dump trucks. Um, and I do remember at one Thanksgiving at my aunt's house, um, they had just, like, you know, an old Tonka truck from the 70s or something, and one of the kids at the Thanksgiving split their
0: head on the corner of the, <laughs> the toy they had to go to the hospital
1: and get stitches. So... <laughs>
0: So, super durable is what you're saying. Super
1: durable. Wow. Uh, Possibly dangerous. Don't
0: bonk your head right on the corner of a
1: pressed metal uh, construction toy, but iconic.
0: Yeah. And frankly, it's the kid's fault. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) 2002,
1: Mm -hmm. Raggedy Ann. Oh, yeah. So, she's a character created by American writer Johnny Gruel around 1915. Um, Books uh, starring Raggedy Ann started around 1918. So, Raggedy Ann is a rag doll with red yarn for hair And a triangle nose Publisher P.F. Fallon arranged to sell Raggedy Ann dolls Along with the books And the tie-in between Gruel's Raggedy Ann stories And the dolls proved to be a marketing hit In the stories when humans weren't looking Raggedy Ann and her brother Andy came to life And embarked on many adventures Um, I do take care of the Gruel family papers At the Strong in the archives there So that's kind of interesting um, the name for Raggedy Ann purportedly came from the titles of two James Whitcomb Riley poems, The Raggedy Man and Little Orphan Annie. Oh, okay. Oh. So grew well, mashed them
0: together, and Raggedy that's where Ann. came with Raggedy Ann. Interesting. In 2002,
1: the other thing that was inducted was the Jigsaw Puzzle.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. We mm-hmm. do that during, um, well, in the before times. We would do that during lunch. As a, as a peaceful, yeah. you know, Contemplative. meditative. Yeah. You feel accomplished at the end of it. Yeah. And you could have a conversation or not have a conversation. Mm-hmm. That was nice about it. Is yes. that you could all you're all working towards something so you didn't feel like you had to yeah. talk.
1: Yeah. It was nice. So there's a rich history behind jigsaw puzzles. I'm not going to get into that today. Perhaps we can talk about jigsaw puzzles in the future. Yeah. I mean, but what are we doing? Don't worry. They made it into the Toy Hall of Fame. Good. In 2003, inducted were alphabet blocks and checkers. Great. Speaks for itself. 2004. You get G.I. Joe.
0: Oh, yeah. All right.
1: So the name for G.I. Joe derived from the usage of the term G.I. Joe for a generic U.S. soldier, which was itself derived from the more general term G.I. So that was used as an initialism for government issue, general issue, or ground inventory, depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. But it did originally refer to galvanized iron. Um, I also have to mention, in 1943... A pigeon named G.I. Joe saved the lives of more than a thousand people in a small Italian village that was scheduled to be bombarded by Allied forces. So the message that the British had captured the village was delivered by G.I. Joe and it arrived just in time to avoid the bombing and over a thousand people were saved. Oh my gosh. And then they like made a movie about it and whatever. So the term G.I. Joe might have been in the zeitgeist at this point in time. Um, And the development of G.I. Joe led to the coining of the term action figure. He oh, was the okay. first action figure. The original 11 half inch line, which was introduced in 1964, centered on realistic action figures. And in the early 1980s, the line was relaunched in a 3.75-inch scale that was complete with vehicles, playsets, and a complex background story involving an ongoing struggle between the
0: G.I. Joe team and the Ever Coburg command, which seeks to take over the free world through
1: terrorism.
0: Yeah. I've heard I've heard of that. I remember they tried to make a movie a little while ago. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think our boy Channing was. I'm it. almost positive our boy Channing was in that. We should we should add that to the list of movies add that we to have. Add the to, queue. Yeah.
1: For, for our deep long winter that we anticipate, <laughs> yes. we are doing a uh, Channing Tatum movie. Yes. Just like, we're just going to watch every movie he's in.
0: Yeah. every no And matter- also The Rock, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to do The Rock and we're going to do Channing Tatum uh-huh. regardless of how bad the movies oh, yeah. are. I'm happy to pop some popcorn and just do As long as it's not a horror movie, I'm happy oh, yes, to watch exactly. it.
1: Exactly. Those are our parameters. Yes. No Eight. horror movies. <laughs> no
0: horror movies. We avoid those. And um, almost all of the Oceans movies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're ignoring yeah. Oceans 12 completely. Yeah.
1: I think if we, and if we start to run out of things to watch, because who knows how long winter is going to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think we
0: also put in Taron Egerton films. Oh, that's a good idea. Because yeah. he hasn't made a ton. Yeah. So I think I would really love to revisit. And he's like baby Tatum. <laughs> oh yeah. He is like baby Tatum. He's so cute. And we didn't see um, the, uh, what is it called? Um, Archer. Yeah, movie. The, mm-hmm, yeah. He's like a Robin Hood. Robin Hood. That's it. The Robin mm-hmm. Hood it was very bad, yeah. but I, I but we'll, watch, wanna, it. Yeah, we'll watch it. Yeah, we'll watch it. What were we talking about? Toys. Uh, toys. GI <laughs> <laughs> Joe. We're talking about GI Joe.
1: Yes. So GI Joe was like meant like he was technically a doll, but boys yeah. didn't want to play with dolls, no. so he became an action figure, <laughs> and he was the first one. Two thousand four. You also have Scrabble. Oh, yeah. So, uh, people still play Scrabble right now. I could play Scrabble right now.
0: I would I would happily play you in Scrabble. I used to destroy my ex-boyfriend in Scrabble. I would embarrass him on a regular basis at Scrabble. Oh, I
1: miss it. We had to implement some rules in my house when playing with my brothers that, like, oh. Billy, you're not allowed to play two-letter words. <laughs> like <laughs>
0: Or words that you made up. Yeah, I can see how there would be several in-house rules for yeah. him. So during the Great
1: Depression, out-of-work architect Alfred M. Butts invented a board game he called Criss Cross, in which players picked random letter tiles and took turns forming words with them on a grid that looked like a crossword puzzle. He calculated that the letters J, K, Q, X, and Z appeared less frequently than other letters, mm. so players who used those letters would get more points. In 1948 James Bruneau And his wife Secured the rights To market the game And retitled it Scrabble According to legend Scrabble's big break Came in 1952 When Jack Strauss President of Macy's Played the game On vacation And upon returning From vacation He was totally surprised To find out That his store Didn't carry the game So hmm. he placed A large order And within a year Everyone had to have one yeah, I bet. In 1952, unable to meet Devan himself, Bruno sold manufacturing rights to Long Island-based Selchow and Ryder, one of the manufacturers who had previously rejected the game. Whoops. It's Uh-oh. okay. They got it back. Good. Um, so in its second year as a Selchow and Ryder product, nearly four million sets of Scrabble were wow. sold.
0: Great game. It's a great game. You can play with anybody. Literally. Yeah. Um,
1: you also that year get the rocking horse makes oh, it in. Oh, sure. Yeah. hmm 2005, another game, Candyland. Oh, yeah, I love Candyland. So, the game was designed in 1948 by Eleanor Abbott while she was recovering from polio in San Diego, Mm -hmm. California. So, the game was made for and tested by the children in that hospital ward. Uh, The children suggested that Abbott submit the game to Milton Bradley, and the game ended up being bought by Milton Bradley and was first published to the world in 1949. Uh, The game requires no reading minimal counting skills mm-hmm. and it's so it's very suitable for young children and due to the design of the game there's no strategy involved players are never required to make choices just follow directions mm-hmm. um, so players travel along the rainbow colored trail past the peppermint stick forest and the gumdrop mountain navigating obstacles like the molasses swamp and the ice cream floats um, drawing simple color cards players advance to squares of the same color and the winner is one who reaches the candy castle first yeah so it's often considered to be like one of the first board games that you might play with a child
0: Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's still fun. I'd play Candyland right now.
1: She doesn't even like board games. I don't like board
0: games. All right. Speaking of
1: board games, Hmm. the next one, the um, the next inductee to the Toy Hall in 2005 was like a little bit controversial. Really? Because it's not a product at all. The cardboard box.
0: Oh, okay. So this is the beginning of and we've talked about this on the podcast before where the Hall of the Toy Hall of Fame started doing kind of a thing where they would like choose like a generic toy that doesn't have a brand like mm-hmm. a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. They would choose a branded toy like mm-hmm. Candyland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they would choose like an imagination Something toy. Something that you have to be creative about. Exactly.
1: And the cardboard box.
0: Man, that's right up there. Yeah. I do you know how many my sister and I would be beside ourselves with excitement if my mom brought home a refrigerator box. Oh my
1: god. Yeah. Oh how many refrigerators did everybody
0: we know go through? I don't know, because but we all at least ended up with a refrigerator box a couple of times. A couple of times a summer, at least. At least twice a summer. I feel like she must have scoured. She must have like dumpster dived for these things. <laughs> and then my sister and I would just destroy it. Uh, like we would treat it real delicately uh-huh. at first and then we'd be like, and then just like We would like, color roll the inside. And, yep.
1: So it would be like a little house or like mm-hmm. a rocket ship or something and we'd color the inside with yep. the crayons.
0: Sometimes we would cut a window. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then when it was on its way out or it got left in the rain, once it dried, we would just jump inside of it and then we would just roll <laughs> th- across the yard, tumbling into each other until it was... Flat. It's exactly a toy. It's free. It's free.
1: Um the other thing that made it in two thousand five is the jack in the box. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: It's fine. It's not really fun, but Yeah. We're more, more scary to babies than anything, <laughs> it's, I think. It's, it's a real <laughs> jumps. It introduces children to the jump scare. <laughs>
1: 2006, the Easy Bake Oven. Ugh. Mm. Um, it was introduced in 1963 by Kenner Products, which was based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, the original Kenner Easy Bake Oven was heated by two 100-watt incandescent light bulbs, came in turquoise or maybe pale yellow, mm. and was designed to resemble a conventional oven. So the oven came with packets of cake mix and small round pans. Um, you could get additional mixes that were purchased separately. Um, apparently, at one point, you could make bubble gum in your Easy Bake Oven. What? Like that that trivia factoid pops up sometimes for some reason they're like you could make
0: bubble gum in what toy from the 1960s <laughs> and the answer is the easy bake oven i can't believe i missed the bubble gum part i feel like i would have used my easy I Bake, bake like Oven i feel like something often. went wrong for it to not <laughs> be like still a regular be able thing. to make yeah. gum in your easy yeah, bake i guess bake you're oven. right there's probably eggs in it and kids got like botulism or something <laughs> lead yeah just <laughs>
1: the, the mix was just powdered lead <laughs>
0: Add water to this powdered lead and heat it up and then chew it. <laughs> oh my god. Mm. Mm.
1: Um, speaking of lead, uh, 2006, you also have Lionel Trains. Oh, yeah. So Lionel began producing trains in 1900. It built its reputation on train sets noted for their authentic detail, smooth operating three-year-old tracks and transformers that allowed kids to vary the speed of their trains. And during its peak years in the 1950s, the company sold $25 million worth of trains every year. Oh, my God. So So many trains. So trains, like... Like, everybody had an uncle with, like, a cool train set in the basement or, like, they'd pull the train set around the Christmas tree or something like that. exactly, yeah. And nobody, like, nobody of the younger generations
0: is doing this. Well, I think it's because trains aren't, like, a viable form of transportation in the U.S. Like, it's just not a thing. You know, like, trains are big in the U.K. and in Europe Mm -hmm. because people take trains Mm -hmm. there. You know? We don't take, no one takes a train. Maybe. Maybe the toy company should get behind the Hyperloop. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Although our good friend Elizabeth, her son, Thomas, loves trains. Oh, he loves trains. Obsessed with trains. But does he love like Thomas
1: the Tank Engine trains? Or does he want a full scale model replica of the 1922 Wichita, Kansas? Yes. He wants that. He
0: got started. He got hooked with Thomas the Tank Uh Engine. And then he just went over the top. So he can tell you like, this is a knuckle coupler. Like, <laughs> That's I was adorable. like, wow, Thomas. That's adorable. Thanks. Well, he's, you know,
1: he's, he's probably going to end up getting a lot of trains at some point. Oh, then. yeah, because
0: sure. they're all everyone who was into trains now are they're dying. <laughs> no, I know.
1: It's like trains and porcelain dolls. Like yeah, people are like, people we're cleaning out my great great grandmother's house. Do yeah. you want 4,000? porcelain dolls and we have to say no i'm very sorry
0: we have enough porcelain dolls yeah too many dolls no one wants dolls anymore because they're creepy because they're creepy (laughs) anyway and that's lauren's (laughs) word. that's the word from lauren The word from lauren
1: um in 2007 what makes it in the atari 2600 game system and you know what we talked about atari in episode 138 the atari age Check it out if you're interested there. It's very good. In 2007, you also get Raggedy Andy on his own. Raggedy Just Andy. So Raggedy Ann made it in in 2002. Raggedy Andy. Big campaign from all the Raggedy <laughs> Ann heads all around the world. Put Andy in. Andy <laughs> should go in there. Why is Raggedy Ann in We're there? We're not on Brother Andy. Andy. We want Andy. And you know what? It worked. So there. good. The rating Oof. campaign worked. Raggedy Andy made it in. <laughs> Joined his sister five years later in the no. toy hall. No. Um, all is also, right with the world. Also, the kite made it in 2007. Okay. 2008, we have a bunch of generic things. We got the baby doll, Mm. got the skateboard. Sure. And then the other one that was controversial that year,
0: the stick. See, I think that's genius. I love it. It's It's great. great. It's great. It's great. Kids love sticks. Yes. Hell, I like a nice looking stick. You know what I mean? You know, you're hiking through the woods. You know, we go hiking all the time. (laughs) You're hiking through the woods and you find
1: a nice stick. You're You're going to take that with you. Yeah, this is a nice stick. How many times do you think that
0: gets uttered in the woods on a regular oh basis? Oh my gosh. Frequently. Every 10 seconds? Every Easily. 10 seconds, someone goes, This is a nice stick. That's a nice stick. Ooh, where'd you get that stick? It's nice.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. 2009, the okay. big wheel. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the 1960s designers at Louis Marks and Company took apart a tricycle, mixed up the parts and reassembled them into an upside down trike that handled like a race car. So this new kind of trike owed its novelty and high performance to its design. On an old steel tricycle, the rider perched on a seat high above the drive wheel and pitched over on sharp turns. Uh, traditional tricycles didn't allow for much speed, but the big wheel road only a few inches off the pavement it allowed you to make high-speed skid outs on slanted oh, man, or services so cool. um there was molded plastic construction it cushioned the joints so kids on big wheels like they just oh, tried yeah. to beat the hell out of thing beat Absolutely. the hell out of this thing they set out bumps and corners and pavements where they could pick up speed <laughs> yeah. i mean
0: ramps oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and You also have the Nintendo Game Boy. Mm. So following the enormous success of their NES home console, Nintendo launched the Game Boy in 1989, and the system became, obviously, an instant hit. So the secrets to Game Boy's success was not driven by advanced graphics or processing power, but rather by simple and efficient design. It allowed for head-to-head connectivity, and you could have dozens of intriguing games. Um, Game Boy's Game Link cable allowed simultaneous multiplayer gaming, which was the first for a portable system. And the classic puzzle game Tetris came bundled with Game Boy and appealed to a diverse audience, ranging from children to grandparents. So Tetris is really the game that made Game Boy into the success that it ended up being. Yeah. And then finally, I guess you brought this up at the beginning. 2009, (laughs) the ball. Oh, man. Just ball.
0: Just ball. I'm surprised. Bigger (laughs) marbles. Not made of glass. Big soft marbles is what I like to call them. Yeah. Um. So I'm surprised that it took him that long. I mean, it's one of those. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, it's generic enough, but yeah. it's obviously like,
1: Ugh, yeah. what do you mean it's not already in there? So yeah. I think ball was also meant to encompass all the sports things, and oh, all the sure, bouncy yeah. balls and all the, you know, yeah. kind everything. of everything. All wrapped up into one. Mm-hmm. 2010, the game of life. Mm. So Love that game. You know? Milton Bradley had printed and sold a game called the Checkered Game of Life in 1860. And as 1960 approached, the Milton Bradley Company enlisted independent inventor Ruben Klamer to come up with a game that would commemorate the firm's 100th anniversary. So Klamer took the life name from the 1860 predecessor, but created a completely new game for a new era. Mm -hmm. So you got the spinner, you got the car, you got the little pegs. Um, I know that my friends and I played like a role that like if you
0: got like the like the shack or the fixer oh, upper yeah. or the split level yeah you could
1: you could put it back if oh, you didn't wow. want it
0: wow that's very generous I used to play with um Molly Maguire and her brother Charlie when I would go over there and the Maguires were and still are to this day the most attractive family that I've ever laid I eyes on say, in my aren't whole aren't they beautiful thing. they're so beautiful like honest to god like they were beautiful as children and then they never had an awkward face and each and every one of them are five children and they are stunning <laughs> <laughs> they're the most attractive people I've ever seen I look like an ogre in comparison to them. (laughs) Beautiful Irish children. Anyway, yeah, we used to play Life a lot. It was fun. It's a fun game. It's a
1: fun game. Um, You also had playing cards made it in that year. Generic playing cards. Great. 2011, Hot Wheels. In the 1960s, Elliot Handler, co-founder of Mattel, envisioned a die-cast car to surpass the popular English Matchbox cars brand. Mm. So he wanted a line of toy cars to dominate Mattel's boy division. Um, Handler insisted that the toy cars look authentic. So the project enlisted Harry Bradley, a top auto designer from Chevrolet, to lead the toy design team. Mattel engineers produced muscle cars with thick plastic wheels built for speed and minimal friction axles that featured torsion bar suspension which gave the car's shock absorbency and wheel bounce wow and as of the time of its induction into the toy hall more than 800 models and eleven thousand variations of hot wheels had been manufactured also in 2011 the dollhouse was inducted oh sure yeah and the blanket oh yeah that's nice nice 2012 um Star Wars action figures. Oh good. Specifically Star Wars action figures. Um here's what I wrote. Blah 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 Star Wars 1977 blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, if you get many angry letters. The 3. <laughs> 3.75 inch figures which included so many of the characters from Star Wars <laughs> were sold from 1978 to 1985 and again from the mid 1990s to present day for more than 3 decades kids have used Star Wars action figures plus all of their accessories and playsets to tell stories about the Star the Wars of the
0: Stars yeah if you want to learn more about Star Wars just stick your head out of your your apartment door and I, hey and,
1: hey and just a cost- what do you think about Jar Jar Binks <laughs>
0: Yeah, literally just accost the first person you see and they will be Rilo like, oh, Ken. yeah.
1: Rilo Ken. Russell. Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. He's hot, right?
0: <laughs> no, he's evil. But, but he's also hot, a right? dark prince, yes. Oh, uh, well. <laughs> he's what all right. Else? What's her other things? <laughs> she's so... Ooh, she gets so fired up I about have Star a half Wars. A, she's, she's got a a half, half a Paps. PBR coffee, coffee in, in. She is sassy. Ooh, she's ready for a fight. <laughs> she will fight you about star wars
1: the other thing that made it in, in 2012 was dominoes oh yeah okay yeah, yeah that's i a- used to know how to play dominoes <laughs> besides just setting them up and knocking them down oh. i mean that's really the fun part of i mean dominoes, that's, that's the only fun part as far as i'm I concerned love watching, i don't watch a lot of videos on the internet okay but i love seeing a set of dominoes <laughs> get knocked down
0: you're a simple girl simple needs um that's I'm proud of you for knowing how to play the game. Yeah. I don't think I ever learned. It's a learned... lot of
1: like matching. Sure, it's a lot of laying tiles down and matching. Like okay, you lay down a nine with a seven on it. I have a nine. I'm going to lay my nine down near your nine. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of okay. matching. All right, a little bit
0: like gin, sort of.
1: Yeah. All right. Why not? But also fun to knock down. 2013 was my first year at the Strong. Yes. um and you know what? I was a little, I was a little let down by your inductees oh, that really? year, because it was the rubber duck and chess.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. that's so disappointing. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, "This is the Toy Hall of Fame."
1: <laughs> Twenty fourteen. Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. So Hungarian design teacher and serious puzzler Erno Rubik assembled his first cube puzzle in 1974 and called it the Magic Cube. After a toy agent pitched the puzzle to Ideal Toy and Novelty Company, they renamed the puzzle to Rubik's Cube and began putting it in stores in 1980. And then, obviously, the rest is history. Puzzlers all over the world wanted to solve the cube. Within two years, they bought 100 million of them, making Rubik's Cube the title most popular puzzle in history. Wow. Oh my god. So um Rubik's Cube itself is made up of twenty seven tiny cubes called cubelets. Mm. Um each having one of six colors. Okay. And the other thing that made it in, in twenty fourteen was Little Green Army men.
0: Oh yeah. I remember that.
1: Yeah. Twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm. You had the super soaker.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. God. So Dr. Lonnie Johnson, a mechanical and nuclear engineer working for NASA on the Galileo mission to Jupiter by day, At night he was Working on his own Project a new heat Pump that replaced Freon with Environmentally Friendly pressurized Water vapor okay and While tinkering with This pump's design at Home he hooked the Nozzle up to his Bathroom faucet and The steady stream that Shot across the room Gave him the idea for A high powered water Blaster so from a PVC pipe and an Empty soda bottle he Improvised a model that He called the power Drencher that featured An air pressure chamber And a water reservoir Uh, Johnson later Enlarged the tank and Moved it to the top of The blaster kind of Making it look like it Was a prop from a science fiction movie. Sure, yeah. So the first super soaker went on sale in 1990 after Johnson worked out a deal with Laramie Corporation, um, a maker of inexpensive plastic toys and action figures. And Laramie's aggressive advertising sold 27 million super soakers at $10 each in the first three years of production. Wow. And after that, innovations like increasing water carrying capacity, altering water direction, lengthening the distance of the water stream, heightened the toy's popularity. And to date, Laramie Corporation, and now Hasbro, which owns it, has sold about 200 million super soakers wow. in more than 175 variations. That's wow. about a, a billion dollars in sales. Oh my gosh. And it's only been around since like 1990.
0: Wow. That's crazy. 1990 is 30 years ago though, if you think oh. about it. I know. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> know, it's, it's tough. tough. <laughs> it's tough to deal with. Um, a little more, a little, uh, a couple
1: decades earlier though, you got Twister Oh, so yeah. in 1964, toy inventor Brian Geyer came up with a shoe polish promotion as a game with a mat on the floor and people serving as the playing pieces. Uh, Geyer hired an artist and a toy designer, Charles Foley and Neil Rabins, to help him with the development of the basic idea. And the three devised a game that they called Pretzel. Oh, that's cute. So Foley and Ravens took the idea to Milton Bradley, which saw promise, and the men received a patent for their design. Um, after some deliberation, Milton Bradley used a printer at General Tire that manufactured shower curtains to print the large color spots on plastic mats. That makes sense. And when the firm determined the name Pretzel wasn't available, it chose Twister instead. It's perfect. Yeah. And there was a big like demonstration on the Johnny Carson show with, oh. um, with uh, Ava Gabor came oh, really? on the show and she did she played twister and then it you know oh sold of course and everybody copies. Like, um that year we also got the puppet went in oh sure yeah okay not scary at all no the puppet um, 2016 dungeons and dragons <laughs> check out episode 122 dungeons and dragons with our friend jamie cusack jamie did such a good job such a good job such it's a great, great explanation dungeons and dragons you also get fisher price little people in 2016. Uh, yeah. So Fisher-Price made the first little people from wood and lithographed paper. They were solid, single-colored wooden bodies um, that later followed. So later figures were made of hard plastic. Those are the ones I remember. Yes, me and too. And in the 1980s, concerns about the small figures becoming a choking hazard led mm. to the 1991 introduction of a new design, larger diameter little people known as Chunky People oh. or chunkies.
0: Chunkies. 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 Bless them. Um,
1: but by the mid-1990s, the little people became more people-like with arms, legs, and dementia faces as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that year you also get the swing is inducted oh great inducted 2017 my favorite my favorite um inductee to the toy hall of fame
0: the board game clue oh yeah you can't go julia goes crazy about Clue. crazy about cuckoo for clue cuckoo for clue she loves the movie she loves the game she loves everything about it
1: so just a little background on it for y'all because you're listening to this You're like it's
0: you're You're stuck with (laughs) us, man. You, You you have listened to us go through years and years of toy (laughs) history at this point. You might as well stick it out to the end. Yeah. We're in 2017 now.
1: Um, So between the world wars, pianist Anthony Pratt enjoyed the murder mystery party games that he saw played at posh European hotels where he worked. And in 1943, Pratt and his wife Elva designed a board game based on those party games centered on deduction. Winning players solve a murder mystery by eliminating possible locations, weapons, and murderers to come to the correct conclusion. He was granted a patent in 1947, but post-war shortages halted his game's manufacturer for several years uh london's waddington's games finally published it as cluedo in 1949 Mm -hmm. and their american partner partner brothers bought out a slightly modified version called clue that same year um the rest is history oh yeah uh 1985 clue best movie uh was the first movie based on a board
0: game oh okay besides Mm -hmm. battle rihanna with battleship (laughs) do you remember that Oh man, no one saw that movie. Um, Julia likes Clue so much. I bought her a Harry Potter Clue. I love Clue for Christmas. I think one year I found that and I was like, I I just love Clue so much. easiest, easiest. Yeah, there's so many licensed versions of it now too.
1: It's fun. The wiffle ball Oh yeah Made it in the toy hall um, So tired of too many Broken windows From playing baseball Too close to the house <laughs> uh, David Nelson Mullaney, Who was a retired Semi-pro baseball pitcher Determined through trial And error That a plastic ball With eight oblong slots Cut into one hemisphere Worked best At grabbing the air And diverting the ball's Trajectory So the pitcher Could easily throw a curve A slider Or a knuckleball And the game produced A good number of strikeouts Called whiffs In his neighborhood oh, So when he began go. To supply local stores With the ball in 1953 He removed the letter H From whiff And trademarked the name Wiffle uh, Wiffle ball players Used a thin Purpose built Wiffle ball bat Which further Advantaged the pitcher By handicapping the batter
0: mm-hmm. And also
1: If you got hit With a wiffle ball It didn't hurt It didn't
0: hurt at all <laughs> Maybe stung a little bit If you got it like In a yeah. soft spot Like your cheek Sure But <laughs> nah You were fine You were
1: fine Suck it up <laughs> Walk it off um, That year you also Had the paper airplane when oh, sure, the Oh sure yeah hall. It's great 2018, the Magic 8 Ball. Oh, yeah. So Abe Bookman of the Alabee Crafts Company of Cincinnati introduced the Magic 8 Ball in 1946. The novelty provided answers that swam randomly out of its inky depths. The size of an overgrown softball with a flat spot that let it sit as a desktop paperweight, Magic 8 Ball would respond to questions with one of 20 phrases framed in a triangle in the round window. So what's the secret to this toy? The black ball, decorated with an 8 in a white circle, houses a 20-sided plastic polyhedron that floats in diluted liquid and inscribed on each of its facets is a different answer to a yes or no question.
0: Exactly. You shake it up. Shake it up. Boop, Ask boop, the eight ball. Mm-hmm. that little does that boy like me? Yeah. Ask again Ask later. Again later. <laughs> 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 and then you would always be like, okay. And then put it down and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. <laughs> it's time. It's time. <laughs>
1: The card game Uno also makes it into the toy hall in 2018. So the Robbins family of Reading, Ohio, loved to play cards, especially the game Crazy Eights. Uh, But that game's tricky rule variants sometimes led to family arguments. So Merle Robbins marked a deck with instructions to avoid such confrontations. Play a king and the direction of the play reversed. A queen meant skip the next turn. Aces were wild, etc. So the family and their friends soon learned that the newly marked decks made the game easier to learn, faster, and more easily understood by younger players. So they thought why not design a new deck around this game and have it printed perfect so robinson and his wife marie sold their home and their game investment and financed five thousand copies of their new game uh, they named it uno after the rule to announce when only one card is left in one's hand um, so they drove through texas and florida playing and selling uno decks at every campground along the route wow. and back in ohio they sold they got back home, had sold all 5,000 copies they made that confidently ordered another 10,000 decks. And they placed these first in small retail outlets and then eventually larger stores outside Ohio um, stocked and carried it. So it was kind of like a homegrown product that like... They really believed in yeah, this. Yeah, they really believed wow, in it. Wow, good for I them. Mean, it's the subject of so many memes these days. It's Lauren. true, it really is.
0: I noticed that on Twitter. Draw
1: 25, you know? Yeah. Um, also in 2018, Pinball goes in. Oh, sure, of course. All right, and then 2019... Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. Now, we covered this a little bit in the quiz of episode 149, Player Cards, right? In which we also talked about playing cards. Um, Basically, in 1993, created by Richard Garfield and released by Wizards of the Coast, um, it's considered to be the first trading card game. Okay. Uh, We also had Matchbox cars win in. So Hot Wheels had gone in a couple years before, and then we had all the Matchbox heads. I see. We want Matchbox. Matchbox two get it in. So English diecasters Leslie Smith and Rodney Smith founded Lesney Products in 1947 and along with their partner Jack Odell began making small toys to fill slack demand during wartime. In 1952, Odell was inspired by a rule at his daughter's school that permitted students to only bring toys that fit inside a matchbox. So he scaled down their like road roller toy and packaged it in a matchbox and sent his daughter off to school with it. And the matchbox car was born. How
0: clever. I had no idea. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Also in 2018, what went in was the coloring
0: book. Oh, finally. Finally. Finally, It went in so much earlier.
1: There was not a a big uprising about that. I guess not. Necessarily, but it just makes sense.
0: It does make sense.
1: So that's what's in there so far. Okay. Um, When
0: When is this year's coming up?
1: 2020, you're gonna find out in two days on November 5th. Wow! You're gonna find out which toys made it into the toy hall for 2020. So I'll tell you real quick what the in, what the nominees are, Ooh, okay. the finalists yeah, for 2020. You have Baby Nancy, so she's mm-hmm. um, she's the first um, like black doll. Oh, okay. Um, from Shindana Toys from 1968. Bingo, oh. which I'm surprised. I mean, I gotta be. <laughs> Again, I'm not part of the selection committee, guys. Yeah, but. Bingo. I'm kind of surprised it's not in yeah. yet, too. Briar horses. Oh, so, yeah. if you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. horse girls, I mean, it was definitely for girls, right? Like, yeah. I don't my know sister. any ways that played with
0: horses. No, my sister collected those. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Jenga. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which was um, invented by a woman, FYI, Leslie Scott. Perfect. Um, it comes. Uh, the name Jenga comes from the Swahili verb for to build, FYI, everybody. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. Light Bright. Oh, I mm-hmm. love Um uh, Masters of the Universe toys, so like He-Man, Masters oh, sure, of the yeah. Universe from the nineteen eighties. Uh, My Little Pony, so your second, your second horse,
0: <laughs> horses.
1: <laughs> um, Risk, based on the oh, French yeah. game Le Conquête du Monde. Um, Sidewalk chalk. Oh yeah, and uh, the board game Sorry. Okay. Yeah. And the Tamagotchi. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then finally Yahtzee. Oh, yeah, yahtzee.
1: yahtzee. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I loved Yahtzee.
0: Yeah, I used to play with my dad and my sister and we really for like a hot minute there, we were really like cranking out some Yahtzee. Yeah. Ya- yahtzee
1: yahoos. Yeah,
0: we were yahtzee yahoos. So
1: <laughs> So, you guys, we don't know yet what's in what's getting in for 2020. Don't I know can't if it's wait, wait be to find two, out. I don't know if it's going to be three.
0: I really don't even know what the, what's going to happen. No, they don't tell so you. find out in 2 days. Like maybe that'll be some fun news. Yeah, you know? that'll be something nice. Go so. to Museum of and find out. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, no problem. Good plug. Thank you. All right, so our quiz tonight. Okay,
1: I'm very excited. Pretty simple. It's called I'm Gonna Live Forever. This is a quiz on other halls of fame. Ooh, okay. So I'm going to give you the genre of it and the location, and you tell me which very famous hall of fame is located there. So I'm not talking like it's the... Oh. The Whipped Cream Hall
0: of Fame. Exactly. Different versions That's of Whipped Cream. That's not on here. That's I got That's not okay. on this
1: list. I can promise you that.
0: Okay. All right. I think I can do this.
1: All right. Question one. Arts. 1100 East 9th Street, Cleveland, Ohio. Number two. Sports. 1000 Hall of Fame Avenue, Springfield, Massachusetts. Number three. History. 1 Canal Street, Seneca Falls, New York. Number four, transportation. Inside the visitor complex, Space Commerce Way, Merritt Island, Florida. Number five, sports. 2121 George Hallis Drive, Northwest, Canton, Ohio. Number six, history. History. Wall of Honor at Stonewall National Monument, Greenwich Village, New York City. Number seven, sports, 30 Yonge Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Number eight, arts, 222 Fifth Avenue South, Nashville, Tennessee. Number nine, sports, 25 Main Street, Cooperstown, New York. And finally number 10, technology. Carnegie Mellon University's School of Computer Science, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Chapek family would approve. I'll give you about a minute to think about it and then I'll be back with your answers.
0: The sports ones are really, they're really twisting me up, but I'm going to, I'm going to certainly try. Okay. I'm certainly All the try.
1: sports ones are ones you should know.
0: Okay. Oh, Jesus. That's, That's not, goodness. yeah. She it's just not pointed. Like, it's her- not like the, the. The yeah, yeah, Hall no, of Fame I, But you You looked so Threateningly at me <laughs> She put her finger In my I'm face I'm three-fourths Of the way through My PBR hard coffee <laughs> No, she's in the Angry stage <laughs> Okay Alright here All we right, go Alright number one
1: <clears throat> Arts 1100 East 9th Street, Cleveland, Ohio That's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame You are correct The museum documents the history of rock music And the artists, producers, engineers And other notable figures who have influenced its development Uh, So the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation Was established in 1983 by Ahmet Erdogan Founder and chairman of Atlantic Records Cleveland was chosen in 1986 As the Hall of Fame's permanent home After lobbying heavily for the museum Uh, Civic leaders in Cleveland Pledged $65 million in public money To fund the construction And they cited that WJW disc jockey Alan Freed both coined the term rock and roll and that Cleveland was the location of Freed's Moondog Coronation Ball which is often credited as the first major rock and roll concert
0: um they also are real Nazis about you taking pictures in there <laughs> 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 which in this day and age is like really yeah oh my gosh yeah, they are really like you pull out your phone to check the time, and someone is like slapping it out of your hand out of nowhere. It's really wild. I think it's because so much that's on display oh, is proprietary. Yeah, yeah that yeah. makes
1: that makes some sense. But um, also, architect I am paid designed the yeah. new museum, mm-hmm. and it was dedicated in 1995. It's a great museum. It's maybe the only oh, nice yeah. thing about Cleveland.
0: <laughs> I mean, I like the restaurant Melt, which is just oh yeah, the cheese cheese, the cheese, cheese restaurant. Yeah. There
1: are two good things about Cleveland. <laughs> You can you can do you don't even need a day trip to Cleveland. You just need four hours in Cleveland. Oh my gosh. To go to the two good things in Cleveland.
0: I mean, one of those hours you're gonna be spending waiting in line to get in the melt. Sorry. (laughs) You decided to go to Cleveland.
1: (laughs) All right. I I
0: mean I'm not disagreeing with you. Number two, (laughs) sports.
1: A thousand Hall
0: of Fame Avenue, Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. Massachusetts. So I'm thinking, oh Lord. Is it the Basketball Hall of Fame?
1: You are correct. Oh, yes. The Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame serves as basketball's most complete library in addition to promoting and preserving the history of basketball. Dedicated to Canadian-American physician James Naismith, who invented the sport in Springfield, Massachusetts, the Hall of Fame was open and inducted its first class in 1959. And as of the class of 2019, the Hall has formally inducted 401 basketball individuals.
0: That's wonderful.
1: Number three, history one canal street seneca
0: falls new york that's the women's history hall of fame or the women's rights hall of fame women's suffrage women's rights women's right to vote hall of fame isn't it like a woman's history <laughs> <laughs> Jesus.
1: remember how you're like i said all the words That's basically the same as giving you the yeah. answer is that
0: does that count in this situation
1: It's the National Women's Hall of Fame.
0: Okay, yeah, I just complicated it. Women's Hall of Fame. Just complicated it a little bit, that's all. It was
1: created in 1969 at the location of the 1848 Women's Rights Convention. So the National Women's Hall of Fame inducts distinguished American women through a rigorous national honor selection process involving representatives of the nation's important organizations and areas of expertise. They are selected on the basis of the changes they created that affect the social, economic, or cultural aspects of society, the significant national or global impact and results of change due to their achievement and the enduring value of their achievements or changes
0: also seneca falls new york beautiful little town um the town of bedford falls and it's a wonderful life is based on seneca falls so if you go there you can see like the bridge that george bailey jumped off of and like all of this stuff so it's definitely like a one-to-one in a lot of places in seneca falls it's very cute
1: yeah good point all right number four transportation it's inside the visitor complex. Space Commerce Way, Merritt Island, Florida. And I've redacted what the visitor complex's name is cuz is it
0: is it a spaceship hall of fame? Is it like rocket ships? Is it the n- space You're on the, you're on the right track. Yeah, I mean I we're probably honoring people Oh, uh, Astronaut Hall of Fame. Yeah, Yeah. the U.S. Astronaut
1: Hall of Fame. It honors American astronauts and features the world's largest collection of their personal memorabilia. In the 1980s, the six then-surviving Mercury 7 astronauts conceived of establishing a place where U.S. space travelers could be remembered and honored along the lines of the Halls of Fame for other fields. Um, So the Mercury 7 Foundation and the Astronaut Scholarship Foundation were formed and have a role in the current operations of the Hall of Fame. Um, So the Mercury 7, you know, they Mm -hmm. were the seven original American astronauts um, they were Scott Carpenter, Gordon Cooper, John Glenn, Gus Grissom, Wally Shira. Shura? Shurra. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Alan Shepard and Deke Slayton. All right. Number five, sports. OK. 2121, George Hallis Drive, Northwest, Canton, Ohio. Is that the Football Hall of Fame? Yeah. Okay. Hall of Fame. All right, <laughs> it opened in 1963, and the Hall of Fame enshrines exceptional figures in the sport of professional football, including players, coaches, franchise o- franchise owners, and front office personnel. Almost all of whom made their primary contributions to the game in the NFL. Uh, the Hall inducts between four and eight new enshrinees each year, and as of 2020, there are a total of 346 members of that Hall of Fame. Number six, History Wall of Honor at the
0: Stonewall National Monument. Greenwich Village, New York City. Uh, is it the Gay and Lesbian Hall of Fame or the?
1: Yeah, okay. it's the National LGBTQ Wall of Honor um, It was dedicated to the LGBTQ Pioneers, Trailblazers, and Heroes And unveiled at the Stonewall Inn in June 2019 As part of the 50th anniversary Of the Stonewall Riots um, And it's located at the first U.S. national Monument dedicated to LGBTQ Rights and history in the U.S. Uh, the first 50 names were announced in June 2019 And each year during June, uh, Pride Month Five additional names will be added um, Related to this, which which I, which I just thought was interesting. In San Francisco, California, there is something called the Rainbow Honor Walk. Oh, okay. um, so that's a walk of fame installation to honor LGBTQ individuals from around the world who left a lasting mark on society. So um, there have been 20 plaques installed in 2014. They they installed 24 more plaques in 2019. So they say that um, this planned walk um, of the Rainbow Honor Walk can, can honor 500 people or more. Oh, wow. So they're going to add to it every- Yeah, that's wonderful. Whenever they can. So yeah, it, pretty neat. All right, number seven, sports. Okay. 30 Yong Street, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So, and it's spelled Y O N G E. Yeah, I don't it's,
0: know. It's pronounced young, just like young child. I know. I'm, pre- I'm just preventing you from getting very polite no, that's letters fine. from I, Canadians. Why,
1: why is this? Why? I don't know. It doesn't don't even know, make sense. They're
0: Canadian. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Um, that has got to be the Hockey Hall of Fame. You are correct. Yeah.
1: It's the Museum and Hall of Fame dedicated to the history of ice hockey. Holds exhibits about players, teams, NHL records, memorabilia, and trophies, including one of the copies of the Stanley Cup. As of 2020, 289 players, including seven women, 112 builders, and 16 on-ice officials have been inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame.
0: Well, I mean, we've been meaning to go. I know. I know. Once the borders open back up again. We're we're in. Corinne has got her eye on it for us. Yeah. She'll (laughs) let us know. (laughs) She'll let us know a second that Ontario is like yes okay the new yorkers can come back new yorkers can come back exactly all
1: right number eight arts 222 fifth avenue south nashville
0: tennessee Uh, Is that the Country Music Hall of Fame? It is the Country Music Hall of Fame. man, I'm killing this
1: It's the world's largest repository of country music artifacts and membership in the Country Music Hall. The highest honor a country music professional can receive is extended to performers, songwriters, broadcasters, musicians, and executives in recognition of their contributions to the development of country music. Mm. All right. Number nine, sports. I saw you make a face when I said this one. Oh, yeah.
0: 25 Main Street, Cooperstown, New York. Why, that's the National Baseball Hall of Fame, Julia. Yes,
1: yes. It serves as the central point of history of baseball in the U.S. and displays artifacts and exhibits honoring those who have excelled in playing, managing, and serving the sport. Cooperstown is often used as shorthand or a Mm -hmm. metonym um, for the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, similar to how um, people refer to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as Canton. Yep. Um, Mm -hmm. And for more on baseball history... Check out episode 24,
0: The Old Leather Apple. Oh, it's so good. So good. Also, Cooperstown- So long ago. I know. So long ago. Years ago, literally. Uh, Cooperstown is a beautiful little town. Mm -hmm. It's very charming. And they also have- And I don't know if it's tied to the museum- um, but they have their own like old-timey baseball league oh, that's like it, two separate it. words, and then they wear like the old like wool uniforms and play the like the original version of baseball. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a handlebar mustache. Yeah, everyone has a handlebar mustache. It's very, apparently it's very fun, and like it's a bunch of people in the community like are on teams, and they play love each other that. and stuff. It's very cute.
1: And finally, question 10. Okay. For the win, Lauren. Oh, God. Okay, technology. Okay, it's at the Carnegie Mellon University School of Computer Science, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Chapek family would approve. Okay. Uh, this
0: was the one that I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> is it? Okay. It's Pittsburgh. Does, does Pittsburgh mean anything in this instance? No. no? Okay. It's just where it is. Okay. It's Carnegie Mellon. Is it just like the Computer Hall of Fame? no is it the no shut up that's not what i said um is it the oh shit it's not the Chapek family would approve i don't that's know
1: a, It's it's a capital c with like a carrot over it
0: okay a-p-e-k i don't know who those people are mm. oh boy um technology right mm. Chapic family mm-hmm. they're um slavic in some way mm. okay <laughs> Slavic and technology. Slavic technology. What did the Slavs give us? <laughs> Besides sauerkraut and excellent sausages. Um, I'm going to be so mad when you tell me, aren't Perhaps I? Perhaps they give us a word. Is it the Robot Hall of Fame? It's the Robot Hall of Fame, isn't it? It's because the Robot, Robot, Robot
1: Hall of Fame! <laughs> <laughs> pew, 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 pew. pew, pew, pew. pew. So the Robot Hall of Fame was established <laughs> in 2003 to recognize landmark achievements in robotics technology and to create a broader awareness of the contributions that robots and roboticists make to science and society. Um, there have not been any inductees into the Hall of Fame since 2012, so I don't know if they like already covered all the good robots or whatever, <laughs> like, or they them. you know people have different priorities now. Um, inductees include things like HAL 9000 from 2001: A Space I'm Odyssey, sure. R2D2 from blah 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 Star Wars. <laughs> At NASA's Sojourner, uh, that's the Mars Exploration Rover. Maria from Metropolis, who is cited as the first robot to be
0: depicted in cinema. Um, so this is this is both fictional and yes. real. Ass, yeah, robots. A Roomba. Oh, geez. Okay. No the wonder Terminator T eight hundred. Wally. Okay. Yeah. You know. I guess there's there's a finite number of robots out there. huh? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, good. Good for them.
1: You did it. You did it, Lauren. Thanks. Job. Joel. Thank you. Um, I did want to include the Internet Hall of Fame, but since it doesn't have a physical location, it, it was gonna make it tricky. Why don't you tell people about the Internet Hall of Fame? So the
0: Internet Hall of Fame is um, is a Hall of Fame that's real. It's a real It's ass not just thing. like some blog post. No, it's it's absolutely real, and my mother in law is <laughs> in it. <laughs> And I'm going to be doing an episode, hopefully soon, about the internet, um, and it's going to be called Lauren's brother-in-law colon the internet. And the reason why is because my mother-in-law is Net mom, the mother of the internet. <laughs> and we're going to leave it at that. And we're just going we're to, leave going it to at just that. leave that little, That's crumb. A little teaser. That's a little teaser. A little Crumb for everybody. Um, she doesn't listen to this podcast, but <laughs> but but yeah, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about how I'm related to the internet. He's my brother-in-law. It's great. And sometimes he can be a real dick. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah, my gosh, yeah.
1: So, so I know this is a really long episode. Oh no, sorry, guys. It was. Guys. Great. It was great. I was you know hoping at least it would be a nice distraction today, a nice distraction
0: from today. Yeah. A little trip down memory lane. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to relive your childhood. Let us
1: know what some of your favorite toys were. Please Just tweeted us, tweeted us some
0: pictures of your favorite toys. Please do. At That'll miss be fun. Yeah, at Miss Info pod on Twitter, we would love to see pictures of um your childhood toys. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julia. Thanks, Lord. And thanks to everyone for listening. Yes, we will we will catch you next time. Bye. Goodbye.